Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Moth House Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Today is episode number 146 of the Moth House Games Podcast. We're a podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, tabletop games, dice games, things of that sort, and beer. A sour, specifically. This is specifically a sour. I went ahead and cracked it before reading it, though, because I want to pour it. Today we are having Millennial Mansion by Prairie Ales, and I love this can because it's basically a whole bunch of millennials living in the same house because we millennials tend to have roommates longer than the average bear of other generations, but it has all of the preferred millennial activities on the can. There's You, you look into it, it looks like basically a, a dollhouse, and somebody's caring for plants, somebody's exercising, somebody's taking a bubble bath. What else, what other kind of millennial activities are the kids getting into these days on this can? Someone's rappelling off the roof. Um, Accurate. Somebody with long hair is shaving their head. Some people lifting weights and exercising poorly, it looks like. Uh, Somebody playing on their phone on the roof. Somebody laying in bed watching TV. Someone basically reenacting Space Jam. Yoga with their plants. It does make me a little uncomfortable that there's somebody just sitting in a closed garage in their car. Uh, I don't see that. I don't see that, that, that yellow car there. There's no people in it. It's just the seats. Oh, JK. Yeah. I got it, a little concerned. It's a car that's got a bunch of stuff on top of it. Uh, there's the lady who's spray painting the living room with furniture knocked around. It looks like a cat caused the problems, in my opinion. There's the, like, Legends of the Hidden Temple throwback area. All kinds of stuff like that. I think that's a Mac, like a like a Mac Model 2 or whatever the old blue and white single yep. screen. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Made popular in Zilly 101. Sure. And so what are the flavors of this beer, Delty Poo? I know there's lots to the profile. So Millennial Mansion from Prairie Artisan Ales is an imperial... Oh my gosh, my, my, I started to say it and it just... Burp, burp. It is an imperial sour ale with orange peel, lemon peel, lime, blueberry, cherry, and marshmallow flavor. It is a 7.7% alcohol by volume and it comes in a 12-ounce can. It's delightful. It is delightful. Uh, I'm going to put the can down. It's a very red beer. It looks like Kool-Aid. When it first pours out of the can, it looks purple. But now that it's in the, or out of the can into the glass, now that it's in the glass, it does look a lot more red. And it smells like guava. I can see that. Like a guava strawberry mix. Mm, it's nice and tart, but the tart's not really up front. It's more at the back end. And it has an aftertaste of marshmallows. You know, like that really fake Jet Puff marshmallow taste that you know and love? Mm-hmm. That's what the aftertaste is, is the, the fake Jet Puff marshmallows. I get more because the the fruitiness and the sour of this is a very candy fruit sour to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like you bit into a fresh fruit like we've had some. This one tastes more like you're biting like into Jolly a sour Rancher. candy. Maybe a Jolly Rancher. So I'm getting more of that flavor lingering, and it's making me salivate very strongly. So basically, millennials are those who like candy and sweet stuff, or giant kids who can also afford alcohol. Correct. It's wonderful. We can afford alcohol, but we all have to live together because we can't afford our own homes. Wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah. That's, uh, yeah. And so, Delta Poo, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? What kind of trouble have you been getting into? What's going on? How's life? So the last few weeks, uh, I'm kind of having trouble remembering what we did. When did we record the last episode? Was it right? We recorded right before our camping trip got canceled. That's right. So our camping trip to Palo Duro outside of Amarillo, Texas, uh, it got canceled. Now... It got canceled, yes, by us, because we weren't just going camping to go camping. We were going camping to be able to go hiking. Yes, we had got a tent site at a nearby trailer park, 
or a camping park, whatever you want to call it. It's an RV park. RV park. And uh, we had some friends who were going to join us, and their friends were already there, and they said, oh, yeah, there's a lot of rain, like a couple of the trails are closed. And I'm like, oh, man, that stinks. So this is Friday, about 2 p.m., right before we are supposed to leave. We're supposed to leave uh, to go to Hinton later that night, and then the next morning drive out to Paladero. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and call the park and see what the damage is. I called the park and I said, hey, how are your trails? And the, and the ranger goes, what trails? I said, excuse me. He said, all of the trails are washed out. And I said, oh my gosh, do you think it'll last throughout the weekend? And he said, ma'am, I think it's going to last throughout the week. And sure enough, I looked yesterday, the trails are still washed out. It was supposed to be a 50% chance of rain over the entire weekend. And then on Friday, it was like 100% all day. And it just poured and poured and poured. And it washed out all of the trails that we were excited to go hike. So yes, we could have went camping in an RV park outside of the state park, paid to get into the state park to be able to just simply drive through it. They said if your car could handle it. Yes. So we weren't comfortable doing that because A, if I'm going to sleep in a tent just to sleep in a tent, I'm not going to drive four and a half hours away from my home to do so. Well, pitch it in the backyard. Uh, Yeah. So we have closer places. Everywhere was mostly booked. There were places to go, but we decided to stay home. What we did instead was go kayaking at Arcadia Lake, which is the lake just outside of town here. It takes us like, what, seven minutes to get there, maybe? Seven minutes to heaven, my friend. So we went kayaking for a couple of hours, and we had a picnic. We made some coffee with our backpacking stove, and I, for camping, I bought an AeroPress and a hand grinder for coffee. And so we made some coffee with that, and it was very good, actually. You kind of make it espresso-like, where it's very a, a very rich, heavy small amount and you add hot water and fill up your cup and boom you have coffee and really liked that but we had a picnic we got to do that uh came home showered took a nap i don't remember what else we did there was more stuff going on uh i guess that's when riley came up with lakin and we went and ate and had some food and hung out and watched tv and it was a fun weekend it, just, it wasn't our, our original plan but we enjoyed it Absolutely, we did. And then last weekend, I worked because we are in the middle of continuing education season. So I work every Saturday, just about. And then Saturday night, I went up to Tulsa to go see Shania Twain because I was a adolescent girl in the 90s. Therefore, I have a Shania Twain obsession that's hidden deep, deep inside. And so did my friend who joined me. We went to Shania Twain, then went to an old country bar where the beers were about two seventy-five a piece. And a, a probably 22-year-old cowboy walks up to me and he says, ma'am. I'm going to give you money to the jukebox. And he gives me $5. And I said, all right. He said, you have to play 90s music. I said, I got this. And so I got to control the jukebox all night long, drink $3 beers, Uber rode home, had some vegan mac and cheese. The next morning came home to see my sweetie. And we just had a grand old relaxing Saturday or Sunday. And that was pretty much it. I had a game day at Brian's house on Saturday while Haley was gone. And uh, me and Brian hung out and played games. Mandy came over. We played a couple things. Dan showed up. I had to leave and let the pets out and let uh, get Haley and stuff. And then I went back and me and Dan and Brian and Jessica played games. Uh, and then Dan brought me home and it was a good weekend playing games, doing stuff, watching TV, all that. But now we're back to the regular grind of things and we are less than 40 days away from our cruise in July. So those are our vacation days. I guess I get the fourth off as well. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. So the game for today is New York Zoo. New York Zoo is designed by Uva Rosenberg, uh, originally published by Feuerland, which is Fireland in Germany. 
uh, and it is brought to the U.S. by Capstone Games. Uh, like I said, design is by Uva Rosenberg. Artwork is by Felix Vermka. Cover artwork is Alice Mainel. Uh, rulebook layout is Inga Koitman. Editing is Frank Heeren. Proofreading is Christine Heeren and Travis D. Hill. Translation is by Corinna Spellerberg. New York Zoo is one we played for the first time at Gen Con last year. And we kept getting rules wrong. And I think we did this time too. We did. I got a rule. <laughs> I, I, We've never not necessarily this by the rules. We played it like four times. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was gonna say not necessarily wrong, but then I remembered. Yes, one rule I just kept forgetting I could do. The other one I did incorrectly. So that's fun. Um, but for some reason this game just does that to me. Really, I guess everybody who learns it and teaches it. Uh Anyway, so New York Zoo is another game from Uwe Rosenberg that focuses around polyominoes, essentially Tetris pieces. Now, uh, the polyominoes in this one range from four square pieces all the way up to seven square pieces. And the way the game is going to work is on your turn, you're going to move an elephant on the board. You're either going to place him on a space that allows you to take animals because you are making a zoo or a space that allows you to take enclosures, which is where those animals can go. The number of spaces the elephant moves and stuff like that uh, all comes with player count. There's actually quite a few modifications to this game for player count, as well as some special rules for two and three players. So make sure to keep that in mind. It does, um, uh, wow, my brain, it, it does scale well, which is really good. But you're gonna move the elephant you're either going to put it on a spot, like I said, to take the two animals depicted or one of any kind or place it on a space that has an enclosure. Put that enclosure on your board and then you have to move an animal to that enclosure. Uh, that's basically how the entire game is going to run. Your little board that you're filling up has three houses on it. Essentially, those are not enclosures, but you can keep an animal there to be able to put more out at once, or if you don't have a space for one, you can put them there to hold off on them until you get space later, things like that. So you can have some animals queued up and ready to be placed in an enclosure whenever it is built. Exactly. Then, the only other thing aside from basically that is, uh, I guess there's two things. The elephant will cross certain spots on the board that are breeding spots. So when the elephant crosses the wolf breeding spot, then anybody that has two or more wolves in an enclosure gets to add another wolf there because they bred and they had a baby. Uh, and then everybody gets to do that for wolves. And depending on player count, depends on, I believe, how many uh, enclosures you get to choose. Like in a two-player game, you can choose up to two enclosures. Uh, actually, it looks like that's just in general. It must have at least two animals in it. Uh, for each of up to two eligible enclosures, you add one animal, no matter how many you have. But anyway, uh, aside from that, the only other rule is that when you have an enclosure on your board and it is full of animals, so if it's uh, one of the starting seven space polyomino tiles, and if you end up, let's say you cross the penguin breeding thing with your move, you take your turn, then breeding happens for penguins and you get to add your seventh penguin to that seven space tile. That tile will, we always say that it pops and you are allowed to take one penguin from it and put it in a house on your board. And then you get to take a bonus tile. The bonus tiles, the biggest one, there's a single one, is a two by four, so it's eight squares. 
The next is a two by three and then a two by two. And then after that, they have a couple three space L's, three space straights, some two space straights, and then the unlimited, not uh, not limited by how many pieces are in the game, single space pieces. So that's literally the game. You're going to be moving an elephant, taking animals, placing enclosures, trying to fill up those enclosures so that they go pop and you're able to take bonus tiles, fill in the gaps, and then it is a race at that point to see who can completely fill in the area on their player board first. Which I did technically, but still dealt in one. Uh, yes. So whenever you are analyzing the board for that game state, essentially, if you were to take animals or if you were to take an enclosure and that fill, helps you fill your board in somehow, some, some manner, whether it be through bonus tiles or placing an enclosure, if your board is full at that point, then you have won the game. However, if you're able to fill your board during a breeding phase, so if you've crossed a breeding line, taken your turn, and then breeding happens, if you filled yours up during breeding and somebody else also finished theirs during breeding, as it happened with me and Haley, it then goes to the tiebreaker of who has more animals in their zoo. And I had significantly more animals than Haley in mine. So I won by tiebreaker uh, while we played with a rule incorrect, of course. Yes, so being that we played with a rule incorrect, by default, I win. Uh, I don't know about that. Well, here's the thing. We both played with it wrong, which is good. And also, it wasn't even anything wrong. It actually hindered us and slowed the game a little bit. Yeah. So in in all actuality, our 45-minute game probably was more of a 35, 38-minute game if we did it correctly, and it would have sped it up and been faster, and you could have had some more explosive turns, I think. Absolutely. Now, I like this game a lot because, one, I know I talked last, literally last episode that Uwe Rosenberg is one of my favorite designers. It's basically like a patchwork with, with zoo animals. You're trying to get these little tiles, put them together, cover up as much space as you can, and you do that with the assistance of animals. It's a very simple game. It's a very easy game. It's a very enjoyable game. And it's adorable because you get so many little wooden animals. It's not just little tokens. It's not little tiles. No, you are getting full wooden pieces. The penguins have white bellies. The little kangaroos are adorably orange. And I love them. One of the things with this game to keep in mind is that the setup is kind of annoying. So the tiles, uh, like I said, you have seven, six, five, and four space-sized tiles. Each one of those is a different shade of green. They're very close together. But what you have to do, the, when you lay the board out, the board unfolds. It's like a tri, well, weird trifold thing. It unfolds, and it's kind of like a, a, a sawtooth. I almost want to think of like a, like a sawfish, where you know it's got those like notches on either side. And the tiles are going to sit in those little notch spaces. You need look this game board up. Look up New York Zoo right now. Otherwise, you'll be like, what in the hell are you talking about? But essentially, there's a solid space on the board that's going to be like choosing an animal or animal breeding that you won't be able to place on. Then there's a gap where you place these tiles on the table. And then there's a spot for animals and then a gap where they go on the table. They could have made it one solid board and it might have made more sense. I don't know. But you're going to lay this giant, long, weird saw blade thing out, and uh, each space for tiles, those enclosure tiles, has a certain three colors that you're going to put there, and they must go with the smallest on bottom and the largest on top. So on the ends is where you're going to have a five 
uh, five space, six space, and seven space tiles in that order from bottom to top. Five on the bottom, six in the middle, seven on the top. Then when you go to the middle of the board, you're going to have the four on the bottom, five on top of that, six on top of that. So it's kind of clunky to lay the game out. It takes a second because the colors are so similar. You just kind of have to count some of the tiles. It's a little wonky. But I appreciate that because I'm sure we've all played patchwork and you're going around the board. You have like basically five or six tiles that you need to fill in and none of the pieces fit because all the big ones are left. This one incentivizes or basically makes it to where you're more likely to take all the big tiles first and then you're left with the little tiles as as the game goes on, which makes it easier to actually fill in your board and you don't reach a stalemate. Yes, they do a very good job because the the game has a, a type of progression. I talked with Haley about this yesterday when we were discussing topics and I like the way that this game pushes you to the end game by itself because it says, okay, here's we're going to help you win is basically what the game says. You're going to buy big tiles off the start to cover a lot of space and you're going to start filling those with animals. You're going to start to buy smaller tiles that can fill up faster with animals. So when those animals pop, those tiles are full and they pop, you get the bonus tiles out and then you can buy even smaller down to the four piece tiles where you're popping them really quickly And I feel like the game does a really good job of showing you essentially not even necessarily saying, hey, here's a strategy, try this. It's saying the game is the strategy and it lets you just real gently walk the path of, I'm going to put a kangaroo in this thing and a fox over here. Wee! And it does that. Um, But it does such a good job because like Haley said, you put the big tiles down first, you cover up big spaces, you get stuff set, you start off, you understand. And then as stuff starts happening, you're getting more animals, you need more enclosures, you start putting enclosures down, and these ones are a little smaller. And then by the end, you're putting down the smallest enclosures, and you're also popping things more frequently so you can fill the gaps in on your board. And it's such a nice, gradual progression from an empty board to a full one that I think they did a really good job making it where you're never going to be just absolutely confused. And Yes, somebody can take the perfect piece from you, but you're never too far off from fixing it with bonus tiles. Yes, absolutely. Because there are multiple times in this game where I felt like you were ahead of me. Then you made comments that you felt like I was ahead of you. And at the end of the game, we literally finished with tiebreaker. Yeah, exactly. And I did. I felt like I was losing very early on because you had so much and popped so much and took the big bonus tile and all this stuff. But somehow I was able to keep up and, and make it work. But... It's got a clunky setup, but it's got a smooth play once you get it. There's a few small rules that are easy to forget. I don't know why, but God damn it, they're so easy to forget. <laughs> We've only forgotten them four times. I know, but uh, it's a really simple game. And if you like that patchwork style, if you like that, uh, you know, polyomino kind of thing, then I think it's a game you'll enjoy. And that does bring to mind and also, uh, you know, it, it brings up the comparison to other games that are similar to it, because I think we do need to throw that out there a bit it is very different than patchwork aside from that you're putting pieces together yes it's very different because uh like we said there is that element where you're you're going around the board and you can choose to yes it's very different than patchwork on many different reasons you know one you're able to choose the bigger tire bigger bigger tiles first the smaller tiles later but also there's the element of of the popping like being able to get bonus tiles by filling your board with animals and you have to have the animals in order to get the tiles you can't just like go around and collect tiles you actually have to incorporate the animal use which i feel like adds a layer of complexity and planning that 
sets it apart from patchwork. Now, if you didn't have to put an animal on your little tile before you placed it, if you didn't have to do that, it'd be just like patchwork, just going around the board, collecting your tiles, putting them on there. You're basically just making a, a giant puzzle. It'd be even simpler than patchwork. But it's that element of you have to have an animal to put in your enclosure, so you have to make time to collect these animals. If you're collecting these animals, and that's going to get you bonus tiles, like that is very simple, but adds a layer of complexity that definitely separates it from patchwork. I think so. Uh, so that's one of them. Another one that I can imagine right off the bat because it's also a zoo is Baron Park. This is different because there's no bears. That's true. And Baron Park also has one marsupial. But uh, Baron Park works very differently because, yes, both of these are racing to get to the end. But the big difference there is in Baron Park, you actually have those goal trophies that you're trying to race to get to for points. You're also racing to finish the uh you finish your things your uh i big squares i can't think of what they're called like the main you know you get four squares in the end yes you're trying to finish those quickly because those are also worth a higher amount of points the earlier you do it uh and then there is the consideration of everyone is choosing from effectively the same tiles aside from the high point ones so it's that one is more about where you're placing things and when versus how you're placing them and how like filling them with animals. So it's it's a different feel to it. I do think there is space for both if you like both. 100%. Um I think in terms of games like number 9 or Project L, I feel like those ones are obvious d- different enough that they're 100% just keepable. Because one of them is numbers and the other one is shapes. Yes, essentially. Like, in the end, yes, these are all polyomino, but so is a feast for Odin. It has that aspect in there. So is Tetris. And so is Tetris. Uh, But anyway, I think that this fits in. I I think if you had any considerations for it overlapping, look into it, give it a play, figure something out like that, because I think it's different enough to warrant, if you think it'll be fun and you enjoy playing it, go for it. Uh, The setup is probably going to be equivalent time-taking to Baron Park, so it's not that bad. But I, I do think there's space for both of those, depending on your group and your uh, likes. If you were to rank these on, like, difficulty, I would say, you know, Patchwork is definitely the easiest. Then you do New York Zoo, then Baron Park, and then Feast for Odin. Like, they all have a similar... Yeah. Well, the Feast for Odin's like a totally different style of game. It just happens to include polyomino. Yes, that's true. But, like, if you like that style, like, that's that's how I would rank them for, like, difficulty. I might put this over Baron Park. Really? Because Baron Park is just placing a tile and trying to do it well and pick up new tiles, where this one actually includes placing a tile, putting animals down, deciding which animals go where, when to pick up what. And like, there's more decisions to be made in this game on how you're filling your board and putting animals in, where Baron Park is just, hmm, do I want to cover a wheelbarrow and get a toilet, or do I want to cover an orange truck and get a big thing? See, you know? I would disagree because I feel like Baron Park requires a lot more planning, long-term planning. This one, you know you're either going to get an animal or you're going to get a tile. Yeah. And the, there's one long-term goal of completing your board. So I feel like this one's a lot less difficult because there's a lot less long-term planning that goes into it. Mm, okay, so I guess then it depends on then it depends on your take on difficulty. If your take on difficulty is the entirety of the game and long-term strategy, Baron Park would win. If your take on difficulty is the amount of choices in any particular moment, I think New York Zoo has more in one decision and one action, I ignoring look- the future. Ah, because in Baron Park, 
your action on your turn is I'm placing a tile, I'm taking a tile. So if you ignore the future, that's all. But in New York Zoo, it's am I taking a tile or am I taking an animal? If I'm taking an animal, do I take the two depicted or one different one? If I'm taking a tile, which tile, where do I put it and which animals do I move to it? So there's more going on per action, even though long term you can't plan because of the way that New York Zoo works with its grid system, like the way the tiles work. You couldn't plan the tile placement out the way you can with Baron Park. Yes. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. Okay. And so I think I look at it as which one can I teach Lakin sooner? And long-term planning doesn't develop until age 12 or so. And this one... But but simpler single actions would be better for a toddler. Toddler? She's like 75 years old at this point. Just kidding. She's Old toddler. Old toddler. Nah. But, so that long story short before we uh, get into a whole topic before the topic. Hello. uh, I think that... uh, Patchwork's definitely easier. Baron Park and New York Zoo are tied in the Malt House Games household for which one is more difficult. And then, so if you're wanting a step up from Patchwork and you like Uwe Rosenberg, I say this will be a great step up. For sure. So now that we just spent the last five minutes arguing, let's argue again, Delton. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today, we wanted to talk about replayability. That's what we're calling it. I'm still not sure if that's a real word or not, but uh, we wanted to discuss how good a game is at repeat plays. If you have a game and you really like it and you play it and then you play it again and then you play it again and then you play it again, is it old? Are you done with it? How is it still interesting? That kind of stuff. And I think the reason why we chose this topic is not necessarily to discuss different terms of replayability, Correct. but because we both have different preferences when it comes to replayability. We do. So in terms of the different preferences for replayability, Haley, why don't you start with yours and I'll tell you why I hate it. So one of my favorite parts, or I guess for me, replayability is I can play the same thing over and over again because my goal with replayability is can I get better at it? Can I keep practicing? Can I do the same thing over and over again, become more efficient? And so this looks like my sister and I playing 34 games of patchwork in one evening. This looks like me wanting to play Sushi Go over and over and over and over and over again. This looks like us playing New York Zoo last night and me immediately wanting to play it again and possibly even again. Because one, I like the games, but two, I want to see if I can do it better. I want to see if I can do it more efficient. I'm really driven by a game, uh, simpler games, really, because it was simpler games like this. You know, there's not... There's not much strategy to New York Zoo. There's only like two different choices you have when it comes to actions. You can take animals or you can place tiles. Like there's not a lot of strategy to it. So it really rewards the efficiency. What can you do with those very simple actions in order to win the game and make your spouse cry or make your your niece cry because you destroyed them? And so I really like games like that that are very simple that I can play again and again and again and again to become more efficient and better at it. Now, I do like other games with more replayability that Delton has. So Delton's going to go into this here in a minute, but you know, games with expansions or other things you can do. It's not that I don't like those, but I would much rather play New York Zoo over and over and over and over and over again in an evening than replay something that's more complex. So that's why I'm glad that you, even though... so. I know early this year I talked about that my whole goal was to try to learn something every day, and that's not been a good resolution. But I've uh, I have not kept up with my Go problems, like learning Go, partially because I don't like playing games like that online against people and having to like 
play in a system where you have to consider, well, what's your rank? What's your level? So we can pit you with people that are similar levels so you can learn to play. I hate that. It, there's a lot of anxiety behind that for me, and I just do not enjoy it. And I don't want to subject Haley to having to play something like Go, because even though you like simpler games, you're not a big abstract game person when it comes to like playing a lot. No, I like things that are cute and that are fun and that are efficient and that are Uwe Rosenberg. Okay. Uh, so there, there is the exception for me where games like Go are ones that like I enjoy playing, but there is a point that happens pretty fast. If we sat at a table and we played a game of Go and you wanted to play again and we played a second game, there's a good chance I would be like, all right, well, let's move on. No matter who won or lost, let's do something else, please. Um, and Haley, like she said, she likes the simpler games. She likes playing games to get good at them, playing over and over again. And I like playing games that the, the replayability isn't necessarily the fun factor and the ability to try to improve your skill at the game. I like playing games that have variability. You like variety in, in your game. Yes, I want it to be able to be changed. That's a reason that I love Quacks of Quedlinburg. It's got five different sets of the ingredient abilities. It's got the expansions, which add even more stuff. So you can play the same game, but it's a little bit different. You're not just maxing out using the blue crow skulls or whatever in the first set. It's not you somebody just doing that over and over and over again. We get to change things up. And I really like that in games. Now, given there's games that uh, that I enjoy that they are more complex, but they don't have a massive variability. Uh, one that I'm thinking of right now is Gugong. I really, really like Gugong, but when you set the game up, uh, there's very little variability aside from which deck of cards you get, and all that is is what numbers you start with. They're all going to circulate across the table. Everything else in that game is just depending on what you do. So that one doesn't have that variability, but you know, it still has more going on, I think. That that was going to be my point. Like it's it's not like patchwork where you have like one choice. It's not like yeah. New York Zoo we have like two choices. You've In got Hugong, like seven. you have like seven. Yeah. And so for you, you really like the variability not only when it comes to expansions but in different directions you can go yes i don't i don't i enjoy new york zoo but every turn you have two options animals or tiles right and i like that and i don't mind playing it like once or twice but it's one of those games where i don't want to sit and play it over and over and over again because i want something else i want to be i want my mind to be stimulated by a bunch of shit and that might just be my adhd talking and the way i've always grown up right uh, is I, I like that. I like a lot of stuff. I like all these things. Um, but I enjoy that about games. I like games that give me a multitude of choices. They give me all kinds of strategies to attempt and things to try rather than focusing like something like New York Zoo, Patchwork, Go, Chess, where you're learning the game. And yes, there could be variations within that framework, even within New York Zoo. There are different ways to approach playing the game but they're on a much smaller level. It's a more minute alteration to your strategy versus something more major uh, in something like Quacks, where you can try a completely different set of cards and then go for something completely different in that set compared to last time. And I've talked about before, like I like having to come up with different strategies. I like strategery a lot, but I also, I think that I, so I, that's why I say I like games like Delton says, but I really like this because this, like, Delton has said before, like, the strategy's kind of laid out for you. There's not a lot you can do. Like, this is the strategy of the game. Good luck. And so then you just like, okay, can I become faster and better and quicker and more awesome at this part? That's true. In, in, in New York Zoo, it really does a great job at saying, here's the strategy. You figure out 
how to make this as efficient as possible. Whereas other games, um, I'm trying to think of another game that does literally anything similar but different. I guess Baron Park. Baron Park, for having simpler decision spaces each turn within its main strategy, it doesn't say, here's the strategy, be more efficient. It basically says, you can do anything. How do you want to approach it? How do you want to get there fast? Do you want to get there faster or do you want to try to get there in a weird, like, what do you want to go for? I don't know. There's something that feels different about it rather than New York Zoo. But I think that's when I was talking to you yesterday. New York Zoo does such a great job at saying, here's the foundation of how the game works. Here is how you get bonus tiles. Go. And then you just, you're off and you play the game the way they want you to play it. And the changes for your strategies are so tiny but they still feel like you're doing something different than your opponent for the most part, uh, at least in a two-player game. But I don't know. It just does a really good job. It must be because every time we played this at Nick and Jennifer's house, Nick destroyed us. Yeah. So we must be doing something different with these little little minute things. Exactly, exactly. But yes, I, I mean, I think that's... Re- really, I don't know that there's much more to say about our different takes on replayability in games is you like perfecting a strategy you like perfecting one game and getting better and better and better and you like to say you know what i beat this game with a point with with 20 points i want to beat it with 21 and figure out how to do it and i'm the one who's like well i just lost that game horribly let's play it again but switch everything around and let me try a whole different strategy that i'll lose just as badly at because i have no experience and that's where my replayability comes in (laughs) and uh, neither one of us are right or wrong but one of us is more right than the other. My play's better. Moving to the <laughs> question. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. Speaking of Haley thinking her side is better, our question today is what are you efficient at? And Haley is the most efficient at pissing me off. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You laid it up. I, I said earlier I had a great answer for you. Yep. And then you did that. And I was like, perfect. This is, this is perfect. Oh, that's yeah. pretty good. I am very efficient at pissing you off. You really are. Well, what am I efficient at really? Bugging me. True. <laughs> I would say that I am efficient. I was going to say efficient at inefficiency because I am really efficient at being inefficient. I don't know how that works out math-wise, but, you know, I'm sure if you carry the one, it'll be fine. I had to ask Haley because I don't know myself at all. Uh, I am very efficient at podcast editing in terms of just the audio and everything that I can, I can take an hour-long podcast and I can get it done and posted, not necessarily with our ad because the ad takes photos and some other edits and some other uploads, but I can get the podcast edited, uploaded, put on the, uh, our, you know, audio only YouTube and everything like that. And about if it's an hour long episode, I can usually do it in about an hour and a half. If I'm, uh, fed caffeinated and motivated. That is absolutely true. you are, you have gotten a lot speedier at that. Yeah. And usually whenever you are editing the podcast at Sunday mornings, when I'm doing what I'm most efficient at, which is, I think I'm most efficient at cooking. You are. You've really gotten so very good at cooking where you're like, I remember this recipe, blah, 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 blah. This is about the right amount, blah, blah, blah. You're getting that grandma-like handful of this, pinch of that, palm full of this. Heck yeah, so I'm efficient because I don't have to look at a recipe. I'm also efficient because I can do like 14 things at once. So, okay, I know I have to start the mushrooms first in order to uh, 
let them cook for a long period of time. So I'll get those started first. And while they're cooking, I'll make the sauce over here. If I pre-make the sauce and I have enough time to fry the tofu. So I've gotten really good at looking at a recipe, prioritizing, and go. And you know what? Oftentimes I can unload the dishwasher at the same time. So it's really funny you saying that. So Haley at work. I have my coworker's name is Haley, spelled the exact same way as my Haley right here. Haley, Haley at work said to me, quote, too bad you're not a woman so you could multitask. That's what she told me. And I said, okay, here's the thing. Because I told her, I hate being interrupted in the middle of a task. And I had to tell her that it's not that I'm bad at multitasking. It's that I don't like, I like taking my checklist and doing one at a time. I want to be in an activity. I want to mark it off and then be like, boom, I did it. Awesome. All right. What's the next thing in the books? But she's the one who's like, I'm going to be doing this. Pop over here, do that. Pop over here, do this. Blah, 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 blah. We finish at the same time. It's just that I have to focus. I like to focus on one thing and then move forward. But it was really funny. But that's what that makes me think of with my cooking the other day when I was doing food <laughs> and I was like, all right, little chicken nuggies are in the oven because I just, I did the easy dinner. Chicken nuggies in the oven. And then what the hell else? I had pasta on the stove. And then I had something else I was broccoli. doing, broccoli, and I cooked the broccoli, and the nuggets weren't done, and the pasta wasn't started, and I was like, shit, hold on. I put the pasta on, got it going, nuggies were doing something, started looking at something else, looked up and went, oh, pasta, and I had to go check the pasta. So, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a one-track mind kind of guy. It's really true. Like, well, he makes breakfast every morning, and I really appreciate him for it. But breakfast is easy. But here's the thing. Whenever you make breakfast, is we put the potatoes on. Potatoes take a minute, and instead of, like turning around and starting to make your your breakfast drink or going to pull your clothes out of the laundry pile was it there with the potatoes i i'm watching my phone <laughs> that's you you wait when, when we get up in the morning i get out of bed and go pee and start on breakfast Haley will generally wake up a little before me and lay there on her phone for like 20 minutes that 20 minutes for me is while potatoes are cooking <laughs> i've got potatoes cooking i've got whatever kind of bread whether it be t regular bread or the uh, uh, bagel or whatever is in the oven on toast. And then I've got those in the thing and I've got the tofu pressing or already cut. I've got everything kind of ready to go. And so that's my phone time in the morning is while I'm in the kitchen in the morning watching all the food cook. But that's just how it works. That's how it works. But to each their own. We're both fish at our own things and we both have a great time. I hope so. <laughs> oh. There's my medicine alarm. Perfect timing to wrap this podcast up. And thank our Patreon supporters. Yes, thank you so much to those who support us on Patreon at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. That's going to be Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you want to be just like those three amazing people, along with our other amazing individuals, head on over to patreon.com slash malthousegames. You can always send us an email if there's a topic you want us to cover, a question you want us to answer, a game you think we should look at, or a beer you want us to try and find. You can send that to contact at malthousegames.com. You can also hit us up on social media at Malthouse Games. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Like, share all of our social media stuff, which has been non-existent this year because when your cat gets sick and dies, it's kind of hard to post on social <laughs> media. Uh, but we're getting back into the swing of things. Took some photos of games uh, or, that we played, and hopefully we'll have some more social media posts for you to look forward to on your feed every day. Uh, but I think that that's going to wrap everything up. We're doing this on a Wednesday night before wrestling. Wrestling. We got, we got 30 minutes. We're not having to rush out of here. And I got time to edit Saturday or Sunday morning. Which one do I choose? Well, I don't know. We got plenty of time. Feels kind of nice for once. It does. <laughs> 
But yes, yeah, so until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.